please be seated for our Bible readings. The first reading today is from Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone, because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. And the second reading is from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 24, beginning at verse 50. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up to heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple blessing God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, may my mouth speak wisdom and the meditation of my heart bring understanding. That your spirit would fall upon each one who hears these words to awaken our hearts, expand our minds and shape our identity in you today. In Jesus' name. Amen. At the outbreak of World War II, Archbishop William Temple gave a radio broadcast to the UK nation. At this pivotal moment in history, he said, the world can be saved from political chaos and collapse by one thing only. And the thing is... Well, I'll keep you in suspense for a little longer before revealing the word that he he said. But the word that he said is actually in the words of the late John Stott, the church's preeminent responsibility. As we begin, if you like, perhaps recovering or moving through the different stages of this pandemic, at this pivotal moment for us, we're just exploring on a Sunday together, if you like, the earliest application by the prototype church of God's vision for his church. What we're doing in May is we're, we're examining four of the different expressions, if you like, four of the different marks of God's vision for his church that we see characterized the early church's life together, that they were devoted to, as we see described in this foundational text from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Last time I said, if you were here, that the Greek word translated devoted, it's the word proskotereo. It has behind it this idea that you will persist and persevere in a certain course of action. 
In other words, you would be committed to something. You would be all in. And last time, we saw how this prototype church interpreted God's vision of being church to mean that they would be devoted to being a caring church. Today, we're going to move on. And we're going to move on to explore another of those four different marks of God's vision for his church. Today's mark is actually the highest calling of the church, any church. It's a word that's mentioned in both of our Bible readings today. On this Ascension Sunday, here's how William Temple completed his sentence in that radio broadcast. It's the, in the same word Luke uses in his Gospel to describe the disciples' response to the moment of Jesus' ascension. He writes... And they worshipped him. The highest calling of any church is to be devoted in worshipping Jesus Christ. Fulfilling, if you like, Simon Peter's words that we heard declaring in week one of this series when he said, you are the Messiah of Jesus. You are the son of the living God. This world still and will only be saved from political chaos and collapse by one thing only, and that is worship. Then here's how Luke, again, this time in the book of Acts, describes how this prototype church's worship to Jesus, what some of it looked like. And he uses these words that they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and the prayers. The breaking of bread would be what we know today as Holy Communion or the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist or as the Catholics would say, the Mass. In those days, it was probably part of a wider meal as we heard read in verse 46 as those disciples lived out the words of Jesus from the Last Supper when he said, do this in remembrance of me. We remember too how it was Only when the disciples on the road to Emmaus saw the risen Jesus break the bread at supper that they recognized that the man that they'd been walking with all afternoon had in fact been Jesus. They devoted themselves in their worship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now while there are many occasions in the book of Acts where it can be seen that the early church prayed, if you like, in an extemporary way. In other words, in an extemporary way means without preparation. There are also many occasions, including this one here, where it's evident that they used some type of written prayers. We could use the word liturgy here, which simply means scripture prayed. They devoted themselves in worship through the breaking of bread and through the prayers. And so, if we come today to 2021, as we move through the stages of this pandemic, at a time when, if you like, our Sunday worship has been and still is restricted, what does it take? What does it take to be God's worshipping church today? What does it mean to be devoted to to God's worshipping church? And what would that look like? The Greek word for worship and the Greek word for devoted 
actually sound very familiar. As I've said, the word devoted is proskotereo. The word worship is proskunio. It means to kiss. It means to kiss like a dog would lick his master's hand. But it also has this sense of reverence behind it, as if you were kneeling or more likely prostrating yourself before the one you were worshipping. Worship is about being devoted. It's about bringing our everything before God in an act of surrender and saying, God, I'm completely yours. This is what it will take. It's about expressing our love to God in who he is and what he said and what he's still doing today. And so in the time remaining, I want to just outline three ways. Three ways of what it means to be devoted to fulfilling God's vision for his church of being devoted to being a worshipping church. Namely, that a worshipping church seeks to be in the presence of God. A worshipping church, secondly, seeks to enjoy or delight in the pleasure of God. And thirdly, a worshipping church seeks to know the purposes of God. There's a very famous verse in the book of Psalms. Psalm 27 and verse 4. It describes one of the most beautiful pictures of worship in the Old Testament. As David prayed, One thing I asked of the Lord, that I will seek after. To live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. A worshipping church is firstly devoted to being in the presence of Jesus. One thing I asked the Lord that I will seek after. To live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. In the Old Testament, the house of the Lord was where God resided. It was, if you like, the place where heaven and earth met. It was the place where you met God. Worship is about a relationship with the God of heaven and earth that shifts and shapes everything about as a continuous, if you like, encounter with the living God. When we go back to that prototype church, what do we read in Acts 24 and verse 53? They were continually in the temple blessing God. In Acts 2 verse 46, we read, day by day, they spent much time together in the temple. If we praise God for who he is and we thank God for what he's done, we worship God by simply being with him in adoration. Evelyn Underhill was one of the leading women of spirituality in the first half of the 20th century. Earlier in the 1930s, before Archbishop William Temple gave his broadcast, she asked that same question for her time of what does it take to be God's worshipping church in those days? And she wrote a letter to the then previous Archbishop of Canterbury. He was a man called Archbishop Cosmo Golden Long to suggest that what was needed from the church more than ever at that time. And she wrote in part of her letter, we look to the church 
to give us an experience of God. Mystery, holiness, and prayer. Which, though it may not solve the contradictions and paradoxes of the natural world, shall shift us to contact with the supernatural world and minister eternal life. Or perhaps in words more familiar today, the worship leader and Church of England priest Tim Hughes writes, worship is about the mess and fragility of humanity being caught up in the perfection and love of divinity. Worship is an encounter with the crucified, risen and ascended Jesus Christ. To fulfil God's vision for his church today, it will be fulfilled by being a church devoted to worshipping Jesus Christ, seeking to simply be in his presence. What we also see, though, in that psalm from King David is that, secondly, a worshipping church is devoted to enjoying and delighting in the pleasure of God. One thing I asked of the Lord that I will seek after to behold the beauty of the Lord. Or as King David would say elsewhere in the Psalms, taste and see that the Lord is good. To behold the beauty of the Lord is to know his unconditional love for us and feel his pleasure that it would bring delight to our hearts. I wonder, do we feel his pleasure and love for us? You see, when we go back to that prototype church, we read in Luke 24 and verse 52 that they worship Jesus with great joy. Then in verse 46 of Acts 2, we read that they worship Jesus with glad and generous hearts. Another way that we could describe that is with exuberant joy. They knew the pleasure of Jesus as they worshipped him. Now let's be clear, God doesn't need our worship. You know, God's not some needy, sycophantic, and insecure divine human being that we might have got taught in some of our history lessons or classics lessons. He's perfect in every way and complete. It's out of his abundance of love about of his abundance and mercy that he's just allowed us to experience his love, to know him. And when we experience that, it's just captivating. You see, there's no greater experience in life. And what's more, he too then delights in our worship. Going back to that letter that Evelyn Underhill wrote to the Archbishop of Canterbury, she went on to say this, God is the interesting thing about religion. And people are hungry for God. Here's why we ask that question. What does it take to be God's worshipping church today? Because I still believe people are hungry for God. Because what the pages of the Bible remind us, what the stories of our life tell us, what the past 14 months show us is that people are still hungry for God. You see, because we're all created beings. We've all been created with our creator's DNA 
inside of us, if you like, our, our God-shaped hole. Here's how some clever people throughout history have described it. Here's how the wisest person in the Old Testament, Solomon, described it. You, Lord, have said eternity in the human heart. Here's how the early church father, Augustine, described it. Our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you, O Lord. Here's how the 17th century French mathematician Blaise Pascal described it. There's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied or by any created thing but only by God the creator made known through Jesus Christ. Here's how even the atheist today, Julian Barnes, describes it. I don't believe in God but I miss him. Whoever we are, Worship is central to our existence. And we all worship someone or something. We know this. Something captures our heart's affection. Our mind's attention, our soul's ambition and effect. They have our worship. And there's just so many counterfeit gods out there. So much low-hanging fruit that it's so easy to, to pick from. A relationship. Money. Success, power, we could go on. And the invitation before us this morning is from the King of Kings. It's to not to feel the pleasure of any counterfeit God, but to feel the pleasure of his love. To feel the pleasure of what it means to delight in him. And then thirdly, a worshipping church is devoted to knowing the purposes of God. As King David said, one thing I asked of the Lord that I would spend time with him and then said, he said, to inquire in his temple. Or as King David would say elsewhere in the Psalms, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. You see, it's in worshipping God, isn't it, that we find both the meaning and purpose to our lives. Because then we know what his purposes are. Worship isn't part of our life, as Rick Warren said. Worship is our life. You see, for most, if not all of us, we've found the past 14 months difficult. We've found it, especially for many of us, difficult as we've struggled, perhaps, with online worship. As we come into this building still with a mask on. As we try to sing with a mask on and we hyperventilate. And of course, there are still other restrictions in place in our worship as well. But the picture before us this morning, as we saw with the picture of the early church, and as we see through the pages of the Bible, is where a church devoted to worshipping Jesus is more than that. It's more than just what might happen on a Sunday morning. It's a lifestyle. It's the image that we see of the prototype church in our Bible that their worship was continual and daily, in the temple, in their homes, on the streets. It brought purpose and meaning to their lives. They lived out, if you like, the message's transliteration of Romans 12, verse 1, to take our everyday, ordinary life, our sleeping, our eating, going to work and walking around life, and placing it before God, as an offering, embracing what God does for us is the best thing we can do for him. It's why worshipping God brings purpose 
and meaning to, her life, to our lives. Evelyn Underhill would then write to the Archbishop of Canterbury and say in her letter that it's only by our worship as a lifestyle that people will find God. Her challenge then was to see such a lifestyle from the clergy in the 1930s. A hundred years later, I still think that challenge is there, but it's now a challenge before all of us. When she wrote, but only a person whose life is soaked in prayer, sacrifice and love, can by his own spirit of adoring worship help us to apprehend God. You see, another way of describing worshipping in the presence and pleasure and purposes of God is to abide in Jesus. And so we have this invitation before us this morning. An invitation to worship our Creator and enjoy Him forever. It's not a task He gives us. Because when it becomes a task, we make ourselves the object of worship and it becomes all about us. It just leads to exhaustion and burnout. The response is to see this invitation as a gift. Something we're invited into wherein worshipping Jesus, we're encouraged, we're envisioned, we're inspired, we're restored, we're replenished, we're renewed, we're healed and we're set free. And then worshipping Jesus like the prototype church becomes life-changing and exhilarating. It becomes our great joy in life. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.